One of the most difficult aspects of making consequential strategic decisions is gauging how competitors and other stakeholders might react. Scenario planning is a start, but a fact-based approach to wargaming can better help executives prepare for the real-life pressure and uncertainty they'll face in the moment. In this December 2016 podcast from McKinsey on Finance, Werner Rem joins Jay Scanlon and Thomas Meekin from McKinsey's London office to explore wargaming from a CFO's perspective. I'm Dennis Swinford, editor, and we'll hear first from Werner and then from Jay and Tom. Tom, Jay, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. We wanted to talk a little bit about how CFOs and the finance function in general can use wargaming to help companies improve their strategic process, their strategy, their resource allocation, and, and so on. So maybe it's most helpful to start with, what do we actually mean when we say wargaming? What is the process for that? Well, Werner, we're, we're thrilled to be here. I think wargaming sounds a little esoteric or potentially sounds like a, a thing that is more suited to military campaigns than it does to the life of the CFO. But I think what we mean by wargaming is a realistic simulation of the type of market environment that the CFO and the executive teams in our clients face in order to make really big and consequential decisions, whether it be commercially, whether it be uh, on the go-to-market, or whether it be on capital planning and infrastructure investments. And Wargaming allows you to have a, a real-life experience of those decisions under pressure with incomplete information and often uh, is played in teams so that uh, you can actually experience what competitors and new entrants might do in response to the decisions that you make. We ground the war game uh, often uh, against several different scenarios of the future, different visions of what the future might look like, so that we can test how robust and how um, effective the different strategies that you might decide to use look like based on the different outcomes that, that are uh, in the future. And to sort of make it less jargony, you know, that means in terms of economic growth or in terms of entrance of new competitors or in terms of, uh, you know, changes in consumer or business customer preferences. And then as a consequence, allow you to see what that future looks like in the real world, as it were, rather than uh, just on a spreadsheet. So tactically speaking, I assign on my team various people to play competitors and I play out various potential actions and reactions in the future, and at the end I have a rounder picture than just an Excel spreadsheet to tell me what people are likely to do, and potentially also sort of the people angle in that, like you know things like retaliation and so on, that which I tend to normally not have. That's exactly it. Um, you gain a deeper appreciation of what the different actors are going to do in the market based on a close analysis of their own P&L and financial positions, but also their track history in taking particular strategic moves. You also have a better sense of your own business model, um, where you can stretch, where you can't, what moves make sense, which don't. And then third, as you point out, Werner, quite often we find that management teams and boards who sometimes also go through this process together leave with a deeper appreciation, a deeper understanding of how they work together and how they make decisions often under stress. And that's one of the key things. This is supposed to be as realistic as possible. And therefore, you want to put really put people through the mill so you can test that decision-making ability. When is this most useful in the life of a CFO? Should I do this annually in my strategic process, for instance? 
I would say there are two situations in which conducting a war game makes sense. I think the first is as part of an ongoing strategic planning process. And it can be done right at the beginning or right at the end, sometimes both uh, at two points within that process in order to get a sense of the business model dynamics and uh, how it will relate to the underlying market trends. The second situation is when there is a disruption. Um, Now, disruption defined broadly. So anything from a regulatory change uh, to a market entry, either by your own company or by a competitor, and anything that ranges in between those two different examples. It sounds like this requires quite a lot of preparation from the from the players, if you want, about not only yourself, but the peers. And you mentioned earlier you do this with fairly senior executives and boards and so on. What is involved here when you think about preparing for a war game? It, Werner, can be quite an intensive process. And the reason why it it's actually quite beneficial to be intensive is because it does do what Tom suggests, which is it allows for a real deep reflection on where you make money today, how you are positioned and what you are doing relative to your competitors, and where there may be opportunities across the value chain uh, for you to do things that are very different or disruptive, or for new Uh, people to come in uh, and change how your customers and your consumers relate to the goods and services that you provide. And so, you know, when we have done this elsewhere, it has sometimes been a four, six, or even eight-week process of surfacing all of those different beliefs that underpin your current strategy. And by that, I mean, we literally go and interview Uh, the senior executives, board members, and other key stakeholders, both within and sometimes even outside the organization, and actually look at what do we believe about this market now? What could we believe about what the the future might look like? And then what we try to do is to uh, inject some very different or some very um, unusual ideas that could happen to create uh, some of the stress, uh, tension, and, and actually pressure on the business model to see how executives and maybe board members react to it, number one, and number two, that they actually are able to imagine this world looking very different than that that they had anticipated. And I think one of the other things that's really important when conducting these exercises, and that also takes a huge amount of time, is bringing data to it. I think wargaming um, traditionally, all too often, is treated like a qualitative exercise. People get in a room they pontificate about market evolution and you know, their view on likely futures. But those likely futures are rarely grounded in numbers or on the impact on the particular company in question, the broader market and their competitors. When done well, though, wargaming is couched in a, some kind of quantitative model, often called a game engine, which simulates that market and means that decisions, actions, and outcomes are driven by data and numbers and the known dynamics of the market rather than you know, guesswork or experience. It doesn't always have to be sort of life and death, organizational shaping, consequential decisions, but it does need to be consequential enough to really absorb the type of, of detailed time and attention necessary to do one really well, because a war game done poorly actually undermines uh, the credibility of the choices that you have in front of you uh, and undermines the confidence of the executive in the decisions that might be taken. So is, is that link to the numbers, if you want, and to the analytics, the reason why the CFO is the right one to do this? I 
think there are, there are a couple of reasons why CFOs are uniquely positioned to lead a wargaming exercise. You know, as a starter, unquestionably, their familiarity, knowledge, and influence on the business and numbers is clearly key here, both going in but also going out of the process. So often the CFO will have the best understanding of business model dynamics and you know, market operations, but also they'll be able to inform the, the resource reallocation decisions that should come from any uh, wargaming that's done well. I think the, the second reason is the process rigor that CFOs often bring to their role. It's important that wargaming exercises are not just simply a fun two-day workshop like a management offsite that is great in the short term but doesn't lead to any long-term practical conclusions. We find CFOs are typically very good at translating these strategic exercises into practical actions on the ground. And that's why we think they're uniquely positioned here. So how is this different from sort of the traditional scenario thinking or scenario planning? It's not new that companies are thinking in their strategic process through competitor reaction. That's exactly right. It, scenario planning is a terrific complement uh, to this wargaming process. And in fact, one could argue that they are almost two sides of the same coin. Scenario planning provides you the opportunity to really test the evolution of your market and, and how your competitors may react over time and where your sources of competitive advantage come from. What wargaming does is it injects a, this real-life element to the decision-making that allow you to test uh, how you as an executive team and how the CFO can help lead that executive team in making bigger, bolder, and more informed choices about how the company approaches that future. It is also very important that uh, within the scenario planning process, wargaming adds that level of uh, ambiguity or uncertainty because when done very well, wargaming does not give away which scenario you're in. And so executives are forced to, in almost real time, respond to the new information being injected, both the, the data-rich information that can be provided by changing in customer buying behavior, but also gets injected through announcements of big mergers and acquisitions uh, in your industry, gets injected by the announcement of new entrants into your industry with different business models or new product launches or what have you. And so as a consequence, you know, both of these things, the scenarios that have been dreamed up ahead of the game, but then the real-life pressure testing of it during the game creates a lot more confidence uh, in the strategic choices that are in front of the company. So it's really commitment that you're creating here in the team that they sort of looked at all possible outs outcomes as much as that, that's possible and understand also much deeper why the company is doing something or why the executives are doing something. I think that's right. And I think, you know, in, in addition to all of those things, it also allows you to, to do something we call deep bias, which effectively means challenging what you, f you know, fundamentally believe about your company, the market, its consumers or business customers, and really get a chance to, to fundamentally explore those uh, preconceived notions that you might hold going into a traditional linear strategy planning process and actually really uh, examine them for how valid they are truly uh, and how much could be changed if you are bigger, bolder, and more aggressive about how you reallocate uh, against it. Who sets the ground rules in this? Because I could imagine that somewhere along the way, 
you know, somebody wants to try something just to see how, you know, the game engine reacts or something completely outrageous, right? So there must be something along the lines of how long a scenario lasts or some, you know, goalposts or, or, or sidelines, if you want, that have to be agreed upon up front. How, how does it work? Is that the CFO who owns this in the, in the frame of the overall strategy process? Or how, how do we think about that? Yeah, I mean, these are most effective if there is a very thoughtful, intelligent game engine controller uh, in the middle of it. It shouldn't be the CFO him or herself because the CFO gets great value out of playing the game along with his or her peers. But instead, you know, a really um, thoughtful and sophisticated financial controller or business planning and analysis uh, individual often supplemented with a strategy uh, colleague and, and often either a commercial or a uh, CapEx M&A type uh, colleague, depending on the types of questions that you want to explore, often form the nucleus of a very good, intelligent central game engine um, room, which, which creates the rules, which uh, comes up with the response curves of the engine itself, and comes up with sometimes the slightly devious and, and devilish um, disruptions into the marketplace that are designed to throw, uh, to throw the executive team and or the board off the scent and really um, challenge their thinking about how their business uh, is positioned today. And presumably also documents, because I could easily imagine that some details get lost in the hectic of the game here. Exactly. And I think as the teams go through this experience, we often find it's useful to pair them up with you know, a member of the strategy function, a member of the finance function who serves as a facilitator, kind of note taker in chief. The other way that documents come into the game, though, is in making it come to life. And participants, when they go through the war game, should not understand what scenario they're playing, you know, what's actually happening to the underlying market. The way they start to build apart the picture of the kind of trends that they're working through is through selective use of collateral. Now, this can be anything from fake newspaper headlines through to uh, mocked up advertisements, um, even news alerts faked through text message or email. Snippets of information that give them an understanding of what's happening in the world around them, but also are as much as possible reflective of the paucity of information that they will experience in real life. So at the end of all this, what what do I have for my financial plan, for my strategic priorities? Do I follow up with a longer workshop or meeting to say here the results? Because it seems that I will not have a decision at the end of this process, right? I will have an experience. Typically, at the end of a wargaming process, executive teams get a few things out of the experience. They get an updated view on their market model, the game engine that we've alluded to um, previously, which uh, tracks the decisions and the impact of those decisions made throughout the game. At the end of the session, there is a kind of reflection period a facilitated session on what are the implications that participants are starting to think of, either for their business, their position in the market, or their competitors. But finally, as you say, the impact of wargaming process is really in the actions, typically resource reallocation actions or strategic moves that management teams take as a result. And crystallizing those actions can often take a couple of weeks. You know, we would see them gradually being prioritized and then fed into the line uh, within two to four weeks after a wargaming exercise, in much the same way as strategic priorities or initiatives might fall out the back end of a strategic planning process. Yeah, I've used this in the past for um, joint venture negotiations. So both um, initial ones, right, with, with several partners, 
um, which, which adds a bit of a different dimension to this, which is that you have the 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 other side is not playing competitors and and well is playing competitors but also future partners right and in one case renegotiation and it was was eye opening the options that it opened up that you didn't think about before and what we had done I'd be curious of whether you've done similar things we actually had separated parts of the team in the sort of two weeks preparation like they had to lay out their negotiation strategy and were not allowed to talk to anybody about it basically I think that's right I and mean, we see similar kind of things in say product launches where um, a couple of weeks before the actual event, you split up the management team or the players, whoever they may be, into different teams. You tell them who they are and you give them a certain set of collateral or briefing material they can use to start to better understand their, their mindset, their position in the market. Because you know, whilst you do want to replicate the uncertainty and the lack of information that many management teams feel going into these big strategic decisions. You also want to make sure people get in character and can start playing their roles as faithfully as possible. One of the other really interesting things about the war game is not only do you try to separate the teams out from each other to, to keep them apart and not, not talking about their own individual team strategy, you often try to incent people who are playing with real and tangible rewards, not just um, awards like, you know, the typical sort of consumer electronics giveaways or whatever, but also real rewards of prestige and visibility so that there's there's a real incentive to try to, quote, win, uh, unquote. And that's what the game engine tries to do. It tries to calculate a score who has actually done better based on the strategic strategic objectives that you have. And then to, you know, celebrate the winning teams in that way and to create a real esprit de corps within the experience so the teams do feel that sense of competitive pressure, which is part of you know the day-to-day life of uh, of most of the organizations that uh, that exist in these new competitive environments. So we're really getting at the gamification of uh, strategy here. Yeah, I think that's right. Gamification allows you to create scenarios um, that most management teams won't encounter until stuff starts going wrong. One example that strikes me here is being particularly pertinent is, you know, of a, a failure in a product launch. And partway through the war game, you know, all participants were told they had to stop. And they had three minutes in order to prepare a press conference speech and were then quizzed by a series of external advisors that the management team had brought in. Now, clearly, this was a little bit contrived, but it forced the executive team to think through the worst-case scenario and put them in a position that none of them were expecting to be in that they're not comfortable in. And that means that they go into this product launch better prepared for the downside risks. Great. Um, thanks a lot, Jane Tom, for joining me on this podcast, and good luck with the next War Games. Great, Werner. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Werner.